What is going on, everyone? Good morning. I have a smile on my face. It's been a long time since I've uh, had a smile on my face this big in the morning. And that's uh, a new thing, but it's a great thing. It's a wonderful thing, right? Happy Friday. It is a bit after nine here in Palo Alto. The sun is out. People are biking, socially distanced, of course. They're moving around. And I just found out that media businesses are essential businesses. So that's uh, that's pretty wild. Doesn't really change much for our distributed team, but it does really make no difference for us. And you know what? Everyone is an essential component of a web that they know nothing about. There is a human web of connections that is beyond our vision, beyond our intuition, and it's beyond what we perceive. All our relationships around us are, you know, we just see surface level interactions and we see our own perspective of how we impact people. But how we really impact people and the opportunities we have to change the course of someone's life or maybe all the courses of someone's life that we have changed are often just invisible to us. This is a big problem because sometimes you might feel down, you might feel out, and you might think, well, what have I done? Have I really made that much of a difference? Have I really helped lift somebody up or you know, pulled someone out of a pit of despair? And you might even wonder, you know, does anybody care enough about me to, to do that if I need it? This is heavy stuff. And our words have creative power. We can speak fear, uncertainty, and doubt type lingo, or we can speak the lingo of vision, courage, power, empowerment, and lift people up. This is a quick story about when I was in Iraq and how I learned to say, I'm not okay. One of my best friends in the military was a really, really caring guy. And he would always ask, are you okay? He had this habit of asking that. And it's easy to think, you know, projection or think, oh, well, he's asking that because he's not okay. Or he's asking that because he thinks that I'm not okay. And so, you know, all these old defensive mechanisms. And of course, you know, from my PTSD brain, all this stuff would just come up. And I would typically dodge these questions and wouldn't answer them or just, you know, answer them with an exasperated, yeah, yeah, of course I'm okay. Fine, fine. And it's so sad looking back, you know, we, we've lost touch. I've reached out a couple times. He's reached out a couple times, but you know, just like over the years, uh, yeah, sometimes you lose touch with people. I finally learned to say, I'm not okay when I'm not. And that took a long, that took a long time. It took a long time for me to trust anybody to admit it. And it took a long time to not be defensive if someone asked me in a genuine way if I was okay and how I was doing. The good news is today, a lot of good news, but the one piece of good news I want you to focus on is that by creating space for someone to admit that they're not okay or that they're struggling or giving them permission by being vulnerable and sharing a story about your weakness or how you overcame something can be transformative. It can give someone a whole new hand up, leg up, push up, whatever you want to call it, out of 
where they're at. And this is so important to do for each other is just asking people in a genuine way, are you not okay? Or sharing a story that gives them permission to accept and toy and think about the idea that if they weren't okay, it might not be a problem. It might actually be an opportunity. So today's super friend is my good friend, Avo. And over this last year, we were hanging out when I was uh, at the bottom and he created space for me to admit that I wasn't okay and that I needed to cut something out of my life that had been just destroying me slowly but surely over the years. And this is so hard to talk about. So thank you for bearing with me. And if you notice that I'm, uh, you know, having a struggle talking about it right now, I mean, it, it, it's a struggle. It's a struggle to even say this stuff out loud, but you know what? You just have to do it. And with the fact that it's Friday and we're going into the weekend and you might have more Zoom calls or more telephone catch-ups with friends and family, this is a great opportunity to create space in other people's lives to give them permission to admit, I'm not okay, I might need some help, and you have an opportunity to share your story in a way where you're vulnerable and you create space for them to say, I'm not okay, or maybe vice versa, you throwing this out there can give them an opportunity to throw the ball back in your court and you can say, hey, I'm not okay, here's what I'm struggling with. So that's what the good news is today. And let's transition into the super friend segment with my good friend, Avo. Avo, what's up, man? Hey, Chad, how are you doing? Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I got you. That was a seamless uh, transition into the super friend segment. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty cool. That's pretty good. Yeah, it seems to work pretty, have worked pretty well. (laughs) Yeah, I'm uh, so glad you, before things started to get uh, pretty wild, I'm so glad you uh, did not go to France, man. I know it was a close call. And uh, yeah, I had to take care of some family business out there with uh, my grandfather passed away and he had a home there. So we were, uh, you know, we're selling it. And my mom, who's, you know, in her seventies now, wanted me to go on her behalf because uh, at the time the, uh, the, the coronavirus was, this was about four weeks ago and the coronavirus was worse there than it was here. Still, it was kind of, you know, not at the, not at the scale it is now. Um, but I was moments away from getting on that plane and, uh, I think I still would have been trapped out there today if I, if I would have. So I'm glad I didn't. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Same. Um, so before we, uh, jumped on this call, I was just ranting a bit about, uh, creating space in conversations through being vulnerable or sharing your story for other people to come to terms with the idea that they might not be okay, that they might be struggling with something and they might need to make a change in their life. And I just wanted to give you a big shout out for helping create that space. Uh, you know, when we were hanging out late last year where you were sharing some about your story and it was, I was finally at a place in my life where, you know, scratching rock bottom with my, uh, with my face, it felt like to admit that I wasn't okay. So, um, I'll, yeah, throw the, throw the ball in your court, but, um, yeah, we were, uh, we were hanging out and, um, you started to share more about your story. Yeah. I mean, I'm, it's, it's kind of, um, I guess it feels really good to have inspired someone because I never thought I could. Um, and your, 
uh, you know, you're somebody that uh, is doing great work and um, it's kind of an honor to have, to have the ability to inspire someone like you. So I just want to say, you know, uh, definitely support what you're doing, man. And, and um, you know, I'm here for you anytime. And, and for it, you know, if there's any, any way I can, I can help going forward, you always reach out, man, you know, and, and that goes with, uh, without saying, but um, I guess my story is, um, you know, is not that different than like most people's, I think that I've talked to sobriety and who kind of make it through these, these dark times. You know, I grew up in the Bay area and, and um, had like a normal upbringing in the sense that I had friends who drank, some drank more than others. I, you know, going through my mid twenties, I probably drinking more um, than, than I would have liked, you know, alcohol was my <clears throat> drug of choice. And, and, um, I definitely, uh, you know, didn't realize that it was happening. Right. Cause it's like a, like a slow drip. Yeah. It slowly happens over time and you don't realize throughout every weekend or, you know, letting it get the best of you. And I remember one time, like I might've been about 26 or so, a friend of mine, I'm 35 now. So a good friend of mine, um, um, mentioned to be like, Hey, you know, we should do this month off or dry January, or maybe it was sober October. I think this was before all those buzzwords were around. Maybe not. I don't know. Sure. He, uh, you know, I, I, I did it with him and it was, it, it was great, you know? And then one year we did it for two months and then one year I did it for three months. And, you know, several years later I made it all the way to six months. And I, I, I remember at the time, like at the six month point, like I kind of had like an ego about me, you know, I, I kind of, I didn't really realize it at the time, but I, but, but I kind of looked down on people who like, we still go to bars and stuff. Right. And I remember, you know, one point, um, this is probably going to make me sound like a horrible person, but like, I remember at one point I was at a bar and there was someone next to me who was, who was wasted and I was sober and I was just with some friends and he was like leaning on me and breathing in my face and just being a typical drunk person at a bar. I just looked at him like he was the worst person in the world. And I remember just thinking like, screw this person, F this person. I just had horrible thoughts. And I just, that, that's important. I'll come back to that later. But, but when I, um, I remember thinking like, oh, you know, look, I've made it six months. I could totally go back to just being a responsible drinker, you know, having a glass of wine with dinner and calling it. Right. And for what it's worth, I was uh, in the exact same place in one of my early attempts at uh, exploring sobriety where I made it to about the six month mark. And then sure enough, I started to look down on people develop some type of ego associated with, uh, abstaining and yeah. So sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I, I think you're, I think that's a common thing where, you know, we're, we're struggling with this. It's this identity crisis. I think a lot of what addiction is, 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 is an identity crisis of how we, um, how we fit in the, in the world. Yeah. And so I, uh, I would fall back into it every time, you know, like after that, out of my first or second drink, boom, I was right back. Within a matter of weeks, I was, I was right back to where I was. And so I think I, I was really struggling with it. I don't think I know I was really struggling. And I think one thing that really helped me um, was I had a colleague who was like a mentor who was sober. Um, and he was a, a, a major um, drunk, um, but he had a clarity of mind to him. I really looked up to him. He was a, he would, you know, I'd show up on Monday in the office and he would kind of laugh once he walk in because he, he knew I just looked hungover as hell. And he'd invite me into his office and he would just kind of live vicariously through, through, through me for the first 20 minutes a day, you know, like asking me what I did over the weekend. And I shared some war stories, you know, whatever, like, you know, things we got up to on that previous Saturday night. And we just laughed together. And then he would start talking to me Friday. You know, I never asked the two, but he would just talk to me about, Kind of what it meant, and and he would kind of 
interject and give his views on where he thought I was in my life. And at some moments it was pretty painful, but he never told me, you got to stop drinking. You got to, it was never like that. It was always, you know, just introspective and, and about, you know, sobriety in general. And like a long question. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, I definitely started kind of developing a contrast, you know, and a level of understanding that like, okay, you know, this guy quit drinking. He was in a dark place just by all the stories he shared with me about him. And, and, you know, I started seeing myself more in, in, in that light, like in a dark place. And I started becoming aware of it. And I think that's a really important like pillar, if you will, of sobriety is, is, is not only getting, if you want to get sober, is just getting someone who's done it or who has experience in it to some level um, or just talking about it with people, you know, talking about where you are. Right. And that's what he would always tell me. He's like, dude, you're like someone in the forest who's lost without their compass. Yeah. You know, you need to learn where you are. You know, you don't know where you are. So that was, uh, that's something that I find uh, was really helpful for me. Yeah, for sure. And I just remember, you know, hanging out and you sharing uh, that story. And I think the, you know, there were like a lot of chinks in my armor at that point. And, uh, you know, like the yeah, PTSD I was struggling with had just really, really broken me down. And at this point I was, uh, I had a work colleague who she was very vocal about the fact that she was sober and she didn't hide or shy away from this and shout out to Hillary where she, that had kind of paved the way for making it something that was much closer to me as an option. Because I think the hardest part for me was just looking back at you know, like letters I'd written to people when I was uh, 19 and I, I asked the wrong people for help to get sober. Mm. And there was this intense sadness around, you know, the sunk costs of not getting sober back then that was really preventing me from making a change in the present where I was just thinking like, oh, it's hopeless. It's been so many years. What is the point now? And if I think back to even before that, before 19, when it uh, started and when I was, you know, growing up in this alcohol culture where it was the only thing that, that was around me in this uh, town in Appalachia, basically, uh, Western Maryland and uh, Appalachia. Some people might think it's a bit of a stretch, but uh, folks from the Bay Area would not. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, it's just it was all of these really, really conflicting emotions that were starting to bubble up to the surface where I was finally open to the idea that I had been getting by, but I wasn't okay. And there were finally enough people in my life that I cared about that had created this space for me to admit it and not have my world fall apart. Because prior to this, you know, when I was 19 and reached out, uh, once when I was, um, I believe 18, 19 and 20, it's about one, yeah, once a year during that point, I was reaching out to the people that I thought were closest to me. And at the time they, they were, um, but they just didn't have the tools or the know-how to create a permission for, th for this, like where a permission where it would be okay. It was kind of met with uh, almost like punishment where it's like, okay, well, something must be really wrong with you. You're really messing up if you can't get it together. And it was so, so confusing that I'd kind of just stuffed it down and just internalize this, this thing of, I'm just not okay now. And so with chinks in the armor and everything that started to open up, uh, you know, more than a decade later, I was finally ready for it. So it was, yeah, it was, I, I can't explain how special that was, man, because it was, uh, you know, I've shared a bit with you about 
where I was at, but it was on a very, very sharp downward slope. I think with everything that's going on now, the major message I just want to get out to everybody in today's episode and the daily mission for everybody is to do your best to create that space for others to admit that they're not okay. Don't have that, you know, you don't want to be that voice of the accuser or have that, create that fear of reprisal in their mind if they open up. And because the last thing any of us want to do is like open up to someone or ask for help and have it be met with scorn or shame or somebody that tries to make us feel guilty. That is just like, wow, that, that I can't tell you what a uh, sucker punch that is. So yeah, I'll, I'll, sh- I'll shut up and stop ranting now, but uh, just some, just some thoughts I've been thinking. I think that's really important stuff that you said. And, and, you know, I, I, at the same time, I, I would like to add that um, I think it's just super important that we all be honest with ourselves too, about where we are, you know, and like sometimes that takes yeah. digging down and just really asking yourself, that's hitting our low, right? That's all, all of us individually going through life. And we hit a moment where we kind of hit a kind of devastating, we have a devastating blow, you know, whether that comes in, you know, comes in all shapes and sizes. It can be a breakup, it can be whatever. And, you know, for me, um, it was kind of, I hit my early thirties. I wasn't where I wanted to be with my career, particularly, you know, I had like a sense of depression. There was like a sense mental disconnect in certain relationships, emotional disconnect in relationships, you know, um, a, kind of an, a feeling of unfulfillment. Um, and I started seeing that, you know, thankfully because of the conversations that I was having with my, with my mentor and that I started looking at it more of like kind of a, a black and white situation, you know, like I, I was sick and I was, yeah, I was making myself sicker by, uh, and cause sickness by ingesting on a regular basis a chemical that is known to be a depressant and it's known to be toxic and it's known to destroy, you know, uh, your health. And, um, I think once kind of, I, I had that and I had hope that I could get through it because I saw viscerally that, you know, it can, uh, it could heal people if you, if you just <laughs> distance yourself from it, that I, I, right. I had no other hope. And I remember I, um, I kind of went through this process and you know, I haven't gone through the 12 steps of AA, but I'm familiar with most of them. The first, I think the first step is admitting you have an issue. And then I think the second one is, is handing it to God, right? And, and I want to just add that what I realized, and, and this was the benefit of working with somebody who had experience with his sobriety, is my problem wasn't actually, that was just a side, like an, an offshoot of my problem. My real problems my obsession with controlling the outcome of my life. And, and that is like this obsession, obsession to turn dials and turn knobs and pull levers and, mm. and constantly try to make myself, you know, better and, and protect myself from, from pain ultimately. And when I chose to drink regularly, it's from like a late teenage years, essentially not knowing how to talk to people, being nervous, wanting to fit in all these, all these things but it just, it just became a habit. And, and when I accepted that, that's what I handed to God as I understood him, right? The second step in AA, which I think is crucial. I don't, I don't think everyone, for me, I don't, um, I haven't gone through the 12 steps, like I said, and I don't know if I necessarily need to. For me, um, this was a crucial part of, of me getting sober was taking that obsession with controlling the outcome of my life and just giving it to God because it, ex- it was exhausting. Yeah. Constantly trying to be aware of, 
constantly trying to manage that is the, was the most exhausting thing in my life. And it was at the point where I think you can identify with this because we've talked about this and you told me like, it's at the point where like, it gets in the way of like your everyday thought, right? That, that controlling, that obsession with controlling the outcome of your life gets away, gets, gets in front of everything. Yeah. Just eats away at your mental bandwidth. It's something that's insidious and it poisons every conversation, uh, almost every word that you speak. It's all from a place of lack. It's all from a place of ultimately fear, right? Where you're just, you're running the, mm-hmm. the fear program in your head at a low level. And it's to cover up the fact, you know, that without that control, it might not be enough or it might not be good enough or, you know, whatever the case is. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And also, I think it's so important what you were saying about you found a way to heal that you took some of what was in AA and you made it work for you. And I think so often we get we fall into these traps of thinking like I have to do everything like step by step perfectly. Otherwise, I'm a failure or whatever. And people get hung up on words. And, you know, as somebody who I'm, I'm prone to get like, obviously God is, is a big one that people get hung up on and it doesn't <laughs> have to be that way. Um, you know, yeah. we can all think about you. It can be the universe, the simulation master, the a force that doesn't care if you name it or not, whatever, whatever you, whatever you're thinking. But if there's any type of defensive posture when you're talking, listening, or discussing this stuff, I just encourage everybody to try to like go a bit deeper and see where it comes from. Because I, I can remember trying to talk about this stuff in the past was almost impossible for me um, due to yeah. you know my upbringing and being in, raised in this, uh, this church where you know drinking and alcoholism were modeled. And it, it's uh, a confusing thing. And so what I think is so interesting about, you know, your story and, and my story, how we kind of like triangulated or stumbled our ways into getting help was we didn't rely on our immediate peer group, right? Mm-hmm. You sought counsel from an outside mentor that had a very different vantage point on you, your life, and was at a different place. Because I'm guessing that, you know, prior to that, you didn't have a lot of people in your life that were completely sober that you respected, right? Yes, that's true. Yeah. And same, same here. And it wasn't until I hit this critical mass of, and you can replace sober with people that have good habits or people that, uh, you know, you admire or respect or whatever, but it's not until you get a critical mass of those people or just proximity to those people that the space is going to open up for you to let your defenses down. And I think with, you know, going into the weekend, this episode is getting published Friday morning, uh, going into the weekend. It's just my hope that everybody goes out there and is really just acutely listening and aware of the signs of somebody struggling because there is going to be with a lot of the aftermath and psychological effects of what's going on. There's just going to be a wave of depression. I think people were already isolated and feeling alone before kind of confused in this strange new world we're living in. And now more than ever, there's the challenge and like the daily mission for everyone today is to be aware of those signs, do your best to see them, ask people if they're okay. And if you have an opportunity to create space for someone else to share that they're struggling, do it. And you might fall down a bit. You might look stupid. You might put your foot in your mouth, whatever. I mean, life's short and the opportunity to help somebody, that's the opportunity to 
build and start to forge a bond that is uh, much, much stronger than what most people call friends or what most people call, uh, you know, casually referred to as acquaintances or business connections or whatever. So Avo, thanks a lot for joining us, man. Absolutely. Can I share a couple of random thoughts I have for? Uh, yeah, please. I just, I think it's a, it's just interesting and it's about the topic. And I think the word to describe addiction, I think the best word to, to, to sum that up is, is selfishness. And I think, you know, when you're drinking, when one drinks, they drink for them. They're not drinking for the people around them. They might have, they might convince themselves they're funnier when they're drunk and therefore people like them more, but really they're drinking for them. And ultimately you negatively affect people around you, which is a very, a very, a very selfish activity because you're hungover, your family doesn't get to spend the time with you, whatever. I would just like to say to the, to, you know, to anyone who, who, who's struggling with this, you know, if you give that up, if you give up that obsession to control the outcome of your life, you will experience a almost like a absurd kind of transformation that can only be described as like pure grace. And, and what I mean by that, I know that might sound kind of weird, but like walking outside and, and seeing things that you never really noticed before, like, you know, spitting leaves in a way that you never noticed, or observing gestures of people who are across the street that show how close those people are, but there might be complete strangers, you know, the way they embrace each other. And seeing all of those in connection is like a, 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 a symphony of life that is so warm and so bright that you you would have never maybe something you've never seen before. That's what like I refer to as like the grace of God and God not in the Christian sense, just God in the plural sense, just the oneness of the universe. So I, I just think that's really important. The last last thing I want to mention is I think the biggest problem people have who are like social drinkers like me. I'm probably more of like a problem drinker um, than like a full blown you know, waking up at 9am type of guy and cracking beers. But it's something that my mentor shared with me. And it's just a kind of a good frame of mind to keep in mind as like a quiver in your a weapon in your in your quiver is the Diet Coke moment, right? It's that moment when you go to the bar with your with your friends, because you know, you want to quit drinking, maybe, but you don't want to not go to bars or not go to uh, concerts or whatnot. So you're, you're standing at a bar. And there's that moment when you kind of got to order a drink and your friends ordering a drink and you don't know what to order. It's a Diet Coke moment. You just order a Diet Coke, yeah. right? And it's just like a simple way to look at it and compartmentalize it in your mind. It kind of frees you a little bit. So I could probably go on, but Chad, um, I'm really inspired by the work you guys are doing and by everything that you're doing, man. And so uh, it's such a pleasure to, to be able to, to you know, share a little bit of my experience with you and, and to learn a lot from, from you in the process. So right back at you, man. Yeah, it's been awesome getting to know you over these uh, last uh, couple it's uh, two years, right? Over two years now. It's been, yeah, it's been a little while. I, I think so. Yeah. And uh, it's been awesome, man. And uh, hang in there out there in Santa Cruz. And uh, I've been reading a bunch of good news about the things starting to tick down with the pandemic. So best of luck to you. And I uh, can't wait to catch up soon when this is behind us. Okay. All right, man. Looking forward to it and uh, take care. Great to talk to you. Likewise. See you, Avo. Yeah. Bye-bye. All right, everyone. That is today's Mission Daily. The good news, there's a web of human connection out there that you can access and you can get more of, see more clearly, and start living in. It's a beautiful web. It's a beautiful network that connects us, and you can get access to it 
when you ask better questions, when you get proximity to people that give you permission and create a safe space for you to embrace who you are, admit when you're not okay, and maybe ask them if they're okay. So ask around. Don't be afraid of that. Abba was awesome coming on today, sharing his story and the daily mission. Ask somebody, are you okay? How are you doing? Look for those signs and remember freeing yourself of that obsessive desire to control things, freeing yourself from addiction. You can't imagine in your current state what it's going to look like as you do. And you can't imagine the beautiful, wonderful web of love and human connection that you are already a part of. I promise you, you are already a part of it. And no matter where you're at right now, it might feel like it's a long ways away. It might feel impossible. It might feel invisible, but it's not. It's accessible via real human connection. Love you all. Thanks for listening. Hey listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.